0: Hi, this is Beth and welcome back to the podcast. I'd like to note that this episode includes discussion about mental illness and suicide. Please choose another story if these details may be triggering for you. Today, Tara shares about her mom and how she grew up in an environment with physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. Her mom escaped that by packing up her belongings and moving to the Midwest. She was diagnosed with multiple personality disorder, which was later renamed Dissociative Identity Disorder, or DID. She also had an eating disorder and ultimately took her own life when Tara was 12 years old. If you are enjoying the podcast, please remember to leave a rating and review. And now, Tara's Story. Hi, this is Beth and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today I have with me Tara. Uh, Tara and I met basically I believe on Instagram. Um, We've been communicating back and forth um, since October. She is a fan of the podcast and is always so gracious in her her praise to me for for the podcast. But what I always say is that I'm just the facilitator. It's all the stories that are shared that are that make it so meaningful. So she has a extraordinary story to share with us today. Um, And I'm going to turn the mic over to her soon, but she's going to share the story of her journey with her mom today. And then Tara will come back uh, for part two and will tell us her story of her own journey as a daughter without a mom since the loss of her mom. So Tara, thank you so much for being here tonight. I'm going to turn the mic over to you and let you
1: um,
0: introduce yourself and tell us your story.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me, Beth. I feel grateful for this experience, to have the opportunity to honor and share my mom's story from my perspective and to do so on such a far-reaching platform. Um, It's a story I've thought about and replayed for 25 years. I still fear I won't do it justice, but I will do my best. So I've always loved telling the story of how my mom, as a young woman, packed up her life and everything she knew up to that point, left it all on the East Coast, and she started a new life in a small little Kansas town. She had accepted a college scholarship, which she would utilize to pursue her degree in music education. She would then go on to accept a teaching position in another nearby community where she would also meet a handsome farmer, but I should really back up because I think it's important to first explain why she uprooted and why she put such distance between her and her family. She did this in an effort to break a cycle, a cycle of physical, emotional, and sexual abuse that she endured day after day, beginning at a really young age. It was carried out initially by her biological father and in later years, her stepfather but it was always evident to us that her deepest pain really stemmed from her mom and more specifically her complacency. Again, this is my mom's story from my perspective, and I don't want to get dates and timelines wrong. So I just kind of want to put that out there. This is only my recollection and my knowledge from stories that I've heard both directly and indirectly over the years. So my mom's parents married before having her. She was the oldest of three. She had a younger sister and younger brother. Um, They were all, to my knowledge, born in Upper Darby, Philadelphia. Her dad had a list of mental health issues, and um, I know sometimes he didn't take the medication. So, you know, when he didn't do that consistently, it would often result in, you know, several forms of the abuse I mentioned previously. But what was extraordinary to me was how truly talented and driven she was from an early age. She learned to sew and cook very early. She was gifted musically. She would go on to play various instruments. Um, I know her most beloved was piano. She loved classical music. She even named her cat Chopin after the Polish-French composer and pianist. I always loved telling that story too. (laughs) Music became her passion and it really just provided an escape from her harsh and confusing reality. And I believe it was when she was 12 that her parents divorced. And then she and her siblings moved with her mom to Cape May courthouse, New Jersey. I'm not sure if her stepfather was why they moved or if he came into the picture later, but unfortunately he did and would go on to cause unimaginable pain and suffering, not only for my mom, but other family members as well. She was definitely your classic oldest child, a natural nurturer, you know, very loving. She was a caretaker to her younger sister and brother, and she was very protective of them. Unfortunately, she could not protect them from this kind of evil. um, And and it wasn't her job to protect them from this kind of evil. Um, My mom's beautiful niece, my cousin, Jen, she sadly confirmed all of this and even worse through her own trauma and suffering. But in addition to her stories of her personal hell, I've also uh, been given unique insight into my mom's through my mom's journals that she exchanged with her therapist. Um, These journals contain very detailed and graphic accounts of, of abuse. It's truly horrific. And I'm only reading them, like I'm not living it. But going back to her younger sister and brother, I've been told they looked up to my mom dearly. They idolized her and her brother still to this day i've been told. Um, neither of them took her moving away well and her sister i also took it very personally. So hopefully this you know little bit of background is enough to understand you know how dire her situation was. Moving was truly her only chance at freedom. So my mom is working as a music teacher. She's already starting to make her mark on another small town in Kansas called Spearville where she would undoubtedly leave behind a legacy. She's also head over heels for that handsome farmer I mentioned earlier. um, And she's embarking on what I like to think were the best years of her life. They married in 1978 and my oldest brother, Darren, came almost a year later. And then next was my sister, Denise, followed by my brother, Justin, and then me. My dad farmed his family's land when they first met, and they lived in a farmhouse nearby. My mom continued teaching after my oldest brother was born, but after my sister, she put a pause on it and stayed home with her family, though she did continue to teach piano. Um, Unfortunately, farming was especially difficult in the early 80s. So a few years after I was born, my dad stopped farming to take a job in maintenance at the school. This meant his younger brother would take over farming, thus allowing he and my mom to move out of the farmhouse and move into town, um, into what we would call the Red and White House. (laughs) This would also be when my mom would go back to teaching. So she taught for many years in both Spearville and a neighboring community called Kinsley, though growing up, I called it St. Nick's. So she would drive back and forth every day um, during that season of life. She'd start her morning at one school and end and her day at the other. But eventually in 1994, she would leave St. Nick's and just take on all of K through 12, band and vocal in Spearville. Um, I, I cannot fathom that kind of undertaking. And in addition to that, she taught 30 plus piano students per week, and even a few guitar and vocal lessons. Um, she played the piano and organ in church, as well as weddings and funerals, She and my dad even taught country line dancing to other couples in the community. She just really gave so much through her gifts and she did earn the respect of many and rightfully so if you ask me, I truly don't know how she did it. Actually, I don't know how they did it. My dad had many talents and gifts as well. And he was truly the definition of hardworking. He has his own story, but in this story, he was our hero. He was able to take on multiple second jobs, and one in particular that makes me smile, probably because it's unlike anything else he ever did, um, is when he bartended at the Silver Leaf, which was the local bar in Spearville at the time. It just, I don't know, it makes me laugh. It just seems too fun and chill for his liking. I mean, at least when it comes to work, because the dad I knew, you know, he got his hands dirty and definitely did not have time to chit chat on the job. And that was the case at his other part-time job, I remember, where he worked nights as a welder for Rotomix. My mom and dad were truly the example of, you know, hardworking, of sacrifice and love. They still found a way in all of this to give the four of us the love we needed. And I definitely needed a lot. More to come on that later. For now, we'll just say I was a very emotionally complex child. And I imagine it was difficult for everyone to kind of figure out how to meet those needs. But like moms do, mine found a way to nurture them. And that was through singing, and it kind of you know evolved from there. I had already decided I wanted to be Whitney Houston, but after Santa brought me the karaoke machine and my mom let me watch The Bodyguard, that definitely solidified things. And I don't remember exactly what age, but after my karaoke machine, I started taking voice lessons and my mom and I were really big into, you know, the nineties alternative. So my love for singing and listening was all kind of just wrapped up in her and my voice teacher, Mr. Meredith. But looking back on my childhood, these were my absolute favorite moments, especially our trips to Dodge. Um, you know, we'd go there to Mr. Meredith's house and we'd listen to K 95 and sing along, tell stories. Sometimes we would, you know, turn off the radio and just sing together. Usually we'd practice. if I had a solo coming up that contest and I still can't sing. You are my sunshine without getting emotional. That was definitely our song. And, and I even have this like distinct memory of us crossing the railroad tracks as we were leaving Spearville and I was so nervous about gray skies. Like in my mind, if there was a cloud in the sky, we were for sure gonna have a tornado. That kind of happens when you grew up in Kansas, but that day she wasn't gonna let me go there. We just started singing and could finally just relax. And, and I started singing with her and, and then before I knew it, we were at voice lessons. And I just think it's really special and appropriate that our love and bond was through music. I mean, it wasn't just through music, but that was definitely our thing. Lucky for me, she taught at my elementary, but also unlucky for me because she taught at my elementary. She was the first one to know each time I got my name on the board for talking, which I know this will be very shocking to those who know me, but this was pretty much every day. And I would usually go up to her classroom, which was a giant auditorium on the second level. I remember so many days just racing up the stairs. There were so many and they were big and clumsy and maybe it was that I was clumsy, but either way, they really slowed me down. I'd walk in and I'd see her and that love and warmth that you were met with, it's, it's just the best. So I'd get over to her and she'd hug me and, you know, we'd kind of sway back and forth a little bit and she'd kind of play with my hair, or kiss my forehead and she'd just dote on me. She was just always so joyful and animated, and you just felt so special when you were around her. Clearly, I can go on and on. I could share so many examples of the ways that she loved us all so well, but hopefully I you know, adequately conveyed that and everything that she took on while raising a family. So now, kind of going back to what I refer to as the beginning of the end, which was pretty much... last decade of her life i want to make mention of the first big event well at least that i'm aware of and this occurred when i was around age one it was very painful and specific self-harm and i believe it was a result of you know her well what was taking shape so she wasn't able to really recall why or how i don't really think she was aware yet of, of what was happening her trauma was painful and difficult to cope with as a child So out of necessity and survival, she learned to compartmentalize and walk out the painful stuff. But unfortunately, this coping mechanism can come with a price, especially when the trauma is as long-lasting and deeply rooted as hers was. So she would find out that this was the beginning of what was referred to at the time as multiple personality disorder until 1994, when the name was updated to dissociative identity disorder, And this was updated to reflect a better understanding of the condition. So I'm gonna refer to it as DID. For those who don't know what this condition is, it's defined as the presence of two or more, you know, distinct personality identities. Each may have a unique name, personal history, characteristics. I can speak to this. My mom definitely did and, They were even in her journals that I mentioned earlier. They even had different handwriting. The individuals with DID rarely go on to lead traditional lives. In addition to DID, she also battled anorexia and bulimia. So my mom's journey begins, you know, a long road of healing and very intensive therapy. I don't remember the frequency of her appointments. I just know she spent a lot of time at what I referred to as Carrie's. Carrie was actually her therapist, but we all knew and loved Carrie. I never minded when I had to go and tag along. You know, we'd play outside when it was nice out or sit in the waiting room, and there weren't really negative uh, memories associated with Carrie's at all. I was too young to really remember this, but I know around 88 or 89, she checked herself into charter. I would have been you know four um the few memories I do have were happy you know I remember singing in the car it was probably just blissfully unaware so one to two years before my mom died Carrie moved away and of course this was devastating for her um the intensity of that therapy and the experience they shared it was monumental so I can understand why she took this so hard Unfortunately, I also think this is really when she started to decline a year before she died in nineteen ninety six we flew out to New York for my cousin Jen's high school graduation um, and at this point in my mom's life, I don't really think she had much of a relationship with her family or maybe she was kind of you know working on mending it as part of her therapy. It was an opportunity for us to connect with these cousins that I definitely didn't know, so that was really exciting and And that was my first, you know, connection with Jen, which definitely evolved from there. It was a fun trip until the end. Toward the end of the trip, my mom would overdose. I was actually told later that she had just had a reaction to her medicine because she had eaten Swiss cheese and she wasn't supposed to. So that was super confusing. Um, But I remember we were at my cousin's graduation and my dad had to carry her out to the, the rental van. So, my brother Justin and I followed and we took her back to where we were staying, and my dad helped her to bed. You know, he was trying to talk to her, and I think he was trying to make sense of things. I honestly don't know if he even knew at that point, you know, what had happened. We witnessed one of my mom's personalities. I mean, she talked like a child, and she definitely did not sound like my mom. It was accidental and it was clearly triggered by her environment, but it was scary and it was very hard to hear it. I remember running out and I think I was screaming, being dramatic. Um, I feel bad looking back, you know, for the way I reacted. It was just this heavy thing. And, you know, I wanted out of the room and I wanted that little girl to give me my mom back. The next event was when she checked in by choice to St. Catherine's in Garden City. And this was in December of 96. This one i definitely remember and i refer to it as long december this is one of the first and and most painful memories of going to see her you know in the psych ward and that was just really uncomfortable and scary once we would see her and we'd go off on our own none of that mattered it was fine and then i didn't want to leave we didn't like when she was away Um, But I remember when we would have to go back home and then just, you know, go about our lives and, and our routine. And that was really, really difficult. I think we were all sad and worried, confused. It definitely didn't make for an easy day at school. It was very hard to focus. I also think back in amazement of my dad and how he managed to still get us where we needed to be went to work. He kept things running. He even cooked for us. He cleaned the house. I like to think he was ahead of his time, definitely showing dads of our generation how it's done. And the next big event took place, um, unfortunately, on my sister's 16th birthday. My mom tried to overdose. I guess this is just, you know, it just makes her, her brokenness and pain even more evident. She was in a state of desperation and I don't think any of us can comprehend or speak to it. She was unsuccessful and uh, I, none of us knew at first what had actually happened. So, you know, my sister and her friend, they actually took care of her that day before she went back to Garden City. But this time, I remember going to see her after a few weeks. It was just so much like brighter, more hopeful. And not just because we were coming up on spring. She was just like, she was in a different state of mind. She was ready to get better. She was not going to let her trauma or her eating disorder win. So now I'm at the day before her death and I am in Dodge city with her and my friend, Jody, and she is there for an appointment. So we went to the Aqua slide while she did her thing and. I just remember she was there for a really long time. And then when she came and picked us up, she was definitely, um, off. She was hiding sadness and I sensed all of it. Um, even though she of course smiled and assured me everything was fine. And I remember wanting to stay with her. My friend Jody had invited me to join her and ride along to her brother's baseball game. I loved spending time with Jody, so I wanted to go, but of course I was conflicted, you know, worried about my mom. My mom insisted I go and and have fun, and so I did. I did until the way home when we ran into severe weather, which again, I was a little dramatic. I just remember feeling so tense the entire drive home, just looking out the window. And all I wanted was to get home and give my parents a big hug. (laughs) Got back, I was told she wasn't feeling well, and not to bother her, and you know the door was closed. So, for whatever reason, I wanted to sleep in the living room downstairs that night, and it was the room you know next to my mom and dad's bedroom. My dad came out at some point, and and he slept in the living room, and we said good night. And the next morning, my oldest brother was already off at work at his part time job at the grocery store. My other brother was in driver's ed and my dad was at work so my sister my mom and i were at home asleep around 9 my dad i guess came home to check on us and that's when you know he woke up my sister and then i of course woke up to her she was hysterical and frantic and i remember her begging him you know do something but i remember at this moment i i thought oh she must have tried to overdose again which means people will be coming and Making plans and whispering how long she's gonna be gone. That's pretty much everything spinning through my head. The next thing I remember, I'm standing in the dining room. I'm I'm at a distance, but I'm looking into her bedroom. So I'm trying to catch a glimpse of what's going on, trying to make sense of things as EMS is, is showing up. And again, we're in a small community, so they they knew who we were. We knew them. It's definitely feeling less and less like the times before why aren't we whispering? No one's saying anything. And then he just nodded his head at us. And, and despite all the confusion and thoughts spinning around, I, I knew what that nod implied. I knew there would be no plans, no garden city, no whispering. No, no need to speak because the look of sadness and pity in their eyes did all the talking that silence was broken of course by me and my sister screaming once you know once we once we took in what was happening and that was immediately followed by the sounds of my dad sobbing and um, as he pulled both me and my sister into his arms hearing him weep like that confirmed it that like this was really happening And i wasn't asleep anymore (laughs) and this isn't like before and in that moment i understood that her pain and suffering had ended and ours was just beginning so people continued to come and um at some point my sister pulled me away and um, we both actually became runners later in life. But to this day, I don't think either of us have ever ran faster than we did um down the street uh to where my grandma lived. So my grandma, my dad's mom, who we were so fortunate to have right down the street from us, um, she was there waiting. I just remember she was standing outside. She just grabbed us both, scooped us up, and I don't think she knew what happened but she knew. And right away, she, you know, she hugged us and quickly rushed us inside. She was very private. But despite that privacy, it wasn't probably five minutes later and um, there was a lasagna and another lasagna and desserts and flowers and so many people. There are a few who really stand out. When my aunt Anita and my cousins, Travis, Joy, and Jeremy showed up at my grandma's. They will always have a special place in my heart. I you know when they showed up, I just, that was very comforting for me. Um, my mom's dearest friends, Marilyn and Lyle and Chuck and Janet, Tanya and Monique and several others, I just remember feeling that that love almost like, you know, they were my other big sisters. I remember the first night, me and my sister and brothers, we all slept in the same room. We would bury our face in the pillow and and try to, you know, try to hide our cries. So my mom died in June, which um, was also during harvest, and you don't mess with harvest. Anyone who knows anything about farming, um, that's a really big deal. But my uncle Rick did shut down, and the community they showed up. The church was packed, and people even had to sit down in the basement and and even outside. And- still means so much to this day that people showed up to honor her. My dad was understandably grieving in his own way. So he had his own pain and journey. And, and I, you know, I get that somewhere along the way though, pretty shortly after she passed away, his attitude kind of shifted. You know, it was more anger toward her, it's not really changed since. And as a result, I, I felt like I kind of had to suppress everything, like my memories of her after a few months. Music was a constant background in my life and our lives was always on or someone was playing the piano or singing. The best way to label the next chapter or season is to say this is when the music stopped. Her story on earth ends, but the lives, you know, she's impacted and the legacy that she's left behind, that story never ends. I hope she knows how proud I am to be her daughter, that because of her bravery and strength all those years ago, she did break the cycle. Thank you to those who listened and went on this journey with me for allowing me to share her story, a story that ended earlier than I selfishly wanted, but a story of incredible strength and courage. Losing a parent at any age or season of life is traumatic, period. We all have our own unique story to tell as a result. I think the way that I lost my mom and at the age I did, paired with my emotional needs as a child, impacted me profoundly. I think It's a large part of why I spent so much of my life feeling misunderstood. So I guess that's why I'm here today. My hope is, and that telling my story I can finally feel heard and I can find peace and closure. Again, thank you, Beth. And thank you everyone for listening.
0: So we are,
1: I'm going to refrain from asking
0: any questions today until we hear um, part two of Tara's story, where she's going to continue um, sharing about the impact of the loss of her mom at that age. um, And with the, emotional needs and things that Tara had, the, the work that she's, the things that she's acknowledged over these, the next 25 years of her life. So I'm not going to ask any questions right now. And we will look forward to having you back to telling us more of your story. So thanks for being here, Tara.
1: Thank you. Can't wait.
0: If you liked this episode or you are a fan of the show, the best way to support it is to share it on social media and with your family and friends. For more of my thoughts on the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. As always, remember, we can use grace, grit, and gratitude to grow with our grief.